You know, it was really great to uh, participate in worship with these young guys. You know, there's certain things that are great to do as a pastor. If you're ever thinking about becoming a pastor, let me tell you, today is going to be a high day because you get to do all these cool things. You get to baptize, and we're going to do a little wedding reaffirmation of vows after service. Those are the high points. Um, I want to start this message actually talking about this idea of mentors. And um, we're going to get into this a little bit later because Paul is mentor to Timothy. But if you think back in your life, you've probably got all kinds of people that mentor you or have been mentors to you. They're helping you navigate your life. They're helping you to figure out how to get through all the struggles and all the challenges of all the kinds of things that you'll face. I was thinking about uh, mentors the other day, and uh, there's a buddy of mine named uh, Charlie, and he's a pastor now. Um, He's actually retired. He's much older, but uh, told me a time when he was mentored. So this was many, many, many decades ago. And the churches then would wear, people would wear robes and stoles. Maybe you've been a part of a church like this. It was much more formal. And they were very, um, you know, uh, intellectual integrity is very important. The study of the scripture, knowing Hebrew and Greek. They had a choir. They had an organ. It was very formal. But Charlie had a mentor. He was a young pastor. He was an associate. And there was a senior pastor who taught him something really important. And uh, he taught him that it was important to take Jesus seriously. But don't take ourselves too seriously. Don't be fooled by all the robes and the the pipe organ and all that, all the pomp and circumstance of the church. Take Jesus seriously. Study Scripture seriously. But don't take ourselves too seriously. And the way his mentor, his senior pastor, taught him this was uh, various episodes that would happen sometimes on Sunday morning. So the way their church was, They would have sort of the choir back there and the organ, and they had a little door right here in the front of the church where all the pastors would come out. And so when the organ would start the prelude, then the pastors who were in the back and they had their robes, they knew it was time to come out. So the associate, my friend Charlie, would come out first, and then the older, more distinguished senior pastor would come out second. That's how it went. Well, every once in a while, Charlie would go out through the small little door right in front of the sanctuary first. And then the senior pastor would sneak up real quick behind him and grab his robe and pull it back through the door and then slam the door on him. So all of a sudden, Charlie's robe is like stuck in the door. And the whole church is watching him. And he's trying to pull his robe out of the door. And he can't get the robe out. And he can't open the door. Because the senior pastor is on the inside holding the doorknob. (laughs) Then after two or three embarrassing seconds, the senior pastor releases the doorknob. And Charlie's able to open the door and get his robe out. And then the senior pastor walks out, very distinguished. (laughs) Mentors reminded him, take Jesus seriously, but don't take ourselves too seriously. Remember that. Our mentors teach us all kinds of things. In the passage today, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, who is writing a letter to someone that he is mentoring. He is writing this letter to Timothy. And he's writing this letter to try to help Timothy navigate his life. 
And he's speaking out of his own life experiences. If you've been here this summer, you know that we've been studying uh, and doing a whole series called Best Practice. How do we in our lives live with wholeness? How do we live successful lives? As followers of Jesus Christ, how do we live in the best way possible and have our lives expressing the best practices as revealed in Scripture? Today's best practice and what Paul is teaching his mentee, Timothy, the practice is contentment. How do we find contentment? Navigating the world that's around us. This morning, as we look at the the words of Paul in Timothy, I invite you to be learners, to be mentored by the Apostle Paul and his writing. And then a little bit later, we're going to look at a little verse out of the book of Philippians, written to the church in Philippi. Again, to see the best practice of contentment. Now, Paul knows Timothy. Paul knows this young man of faith. He knows his family. He knows where this man comes from. A little bit like uh, we know where our kids come from here at GRX. Paul knew where Timothy came from. Paul calls out a strong faith that he sees in Timothy because he also saw the strong faith in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and also in Timothy's mother, Eunice. Have you ever known people named Lois or Eunice? These are people who are the grandmother and mother of Timothy, and they had strong faith. You know, I, that's one thing you have to love about grandmothers is they will pray for you. I know, I, I just at the beginning of service, I met some grandmothers and grandfathers who came here to watch their grandchildren be baptized this morning. You got to love grandparents because they're praying for you. And Lois was the grandmother of Timothy, and you can bet she was praying for him. Well, Paul knows all this about Timothy and all this about his background and says, hey, Timothy, I love you. I'm mentoring you. I know your family. So let me teach you how to grow more deeply in your faith. Let me teach you about contentment. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy, starting at chapter 6, verse 6 through 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But then he's still writing to Timothy. Paul's writing to his mentee. And he says, but as for you, O man of God, but as for you, Timothy, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's like the confession here. 
before many witnesses. Timothy has also made his confession before many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It's a big chunk of scripture, but he's saying godliness with contentment is great gain. Pursue that. Pursue that and take hold of Jesus Christ and you will live well. He lays this out and he actually lays out a very clever set of arguments because Paul lays out the battleground. What will battle against and challenge Timothy finding contentment? It's interesting what Paul doesn't say because he puts such a high value on contentment. I would think, why is Paul talking about contentment so much? See, for, for me, it's interesting. Why is Paul trying to mentor him? Because he could say something like this. Godliness with love is great gain. Or Paul could write to his mentee, godliness with joy is great gain. Or godliness with faith is great gain. But isn't it interesting? The Apostle Paul doesn't say that. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So what is the first problem and what is the first challenge about reaching contentment? I think the first thing that that Paul is saying here is that Paul is saying we have to be careful about the temptation for more and more and more. The temptation that will undermine godliness and contentment is this desire, this insatiable desire for more. If you think back to the very first parts of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve made their great fall, original sin, when they made their first sin, what was at the root of that sin? It was the desire for more. It was discontentment. In that story, God has created the entire garden and he has put Adam and Eve in the midst of that garden and he has given them everything in that garden to eat. Everything except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was there in the garden. And God said to the man and the woman, you can eat of anything here except that. That you cannot have. There's a boundary. But can you be content with everything else in all creation? But as the story unfolds, the woman and the man are tempted. They're tempted by their desire. Not just that the tree was good for food, but it was their desire and their discontentment. 
It's this that's so dangerous to contentment, the insatiable desire for more. And the Apostle Paul addresses this by saying, okay, you, want, you, you have this desire for more and more? Well, you're not going to find it in things because you came into the world without anything. And you're going to leave the world without anything. So if you've got this desire for more, don't go there because that's not going to satisfy you. Now, a long time ago, when people used to put bumper stickers on their cars, this is back in the 70s and the 80s. You know, people don't do that now. People are kind of cool. They don't put any bumper stickers on their car. But if you're old enough to remember bumper stickers, you might be old enough to remember this. There was a quotation that was ascribed to Malcolm Forbes, entrepreneur, billionaire, the guy that publishes Forbes magazine. And the bumper sticker and the quotation went something like this. He who dies with the most toys wins. And, you know, you can imagine a guy like Malcolm Forbes. He had a lot of toys, yachts, houses, tons of money. So he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, a few years after that bumper sticker came out, there was another bumper sticker that came out. And it said, he who dies with the most toys is dead. (laughs) That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. You came into the world with nothing. You're going to leave the world with nothing. Do not think that your contentment is going to be found in the things that you can collect. But then he goes on to this second battle point, and he says this, but if we have food and clothing, these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We live in Silicon Valley. We live in one of the most expensive places in the United States to live in. And there is a lot of money out there. There is a lot of temptation. There is a lot of temptation to have your money become your number one love. Now, there's a very interesting and subtle point the Apostle Paul is making here. He doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus Christ himself talks about this over and over again. He says that you cannot both serve God and money. You can't be devoted to both God and money. You can't be loving to both God and money. You have to choose one. You have to choose one. And your contentment will not be found in the love of money. I've always been struck by this in one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the sower. In that parable, the way that Jesus talks about this, he talks about the word of God being like the seed And the sower is someone who goes out and throws the seed on the ground so that it might grow. 
that the word of God might land in people's hearts and the word of God might grow up and that they might have faith. And so the way that Jesus tells this parable of the sower, he says that the sower goes out to throw the seed out and some of it lands on the path and the birds come and eat it. And then some of it lands on the rocky soil and it grows up a little bit, but the sun scorches it and then it dies off. Some of the seed, it's thrown and it lands on the soil that's got a bunch of thorns in it. And it grows up, but then the thorns choke it out. And then some of the soil, some of the seeds fall on good soil. And that is the word of God that grows up into people's hearts. And they live lives of faith. Then Jesus goes on to describe what are the kinds of soils and how we might encounter them. But do you know what he says about the thorny soil? When you throw the seed on the thorny soil and the seed grows up and you got a plant, but then the thorns choke it out. The way that Jesus interprets that is he says, the plant is growing, but the thorns, they choke it out. And it's the desire for the riches of the world. That's what chokes out the life of faith. In people. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So if it's not the things that make us content, and if it's not the love of money that makes us content, then what is it? What can give us contentment in the deepest parts of our heart, in the deepest parts of our soul? Paul advises Timothy in this way. Chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the confession of your faith that you've made in the presence of many witnesses. This morning, we witnessed Crystal and Lillian and Jack and Mark and Kiana and Caden confess their faith in the presence of many witnesses. And it's our charge as the church to encourage them and to encourage one another to not find our contentment in all these other places, in the love of money or in stuff, but to find our contentment in taking hold of the confession of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this very, very clearly in his letter to the church in Philippi. And I'm going to pull out these verses here as we begin to wrap up this message. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul talks about his own life, about being content, and then the secret to his own contentment. Philippians chapter 4, 11 to 13 says this, For I, writes the Apostle Paul, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be 
content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. You know, can I just do a little, a little word study here? I, I just thought this was so fascinating on this word content, contentment. This word here, contentment, autarkis, autarkis. It means to be independent of external circumstances. But in classical Greek, that word, autarkis, it means sanity. Sanity. Isn't that interesting? Godliness with sanity is great gain. If you feel like you are running a life that is just insane and crazy and a schedule that is just driving you bonkers, there might be a word of contentment that God wants you to hear this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content and sane and independent of external circumstances. The Apostle Paul, he knew the highs and the lows of life. The Apostle Paul was brilliant. He studied with the best teachers of his time. He was politically connected. He was a leader. He had power in the community. The Apostle Paul was of huge status. But the Apostle Paul also was brought low. He was beaten for his faith. He was imprisoned for his faith. He was shipwrecked. He got bitten by a snake. He knew what it was to hunger and thirst. And in all of that, in all of the highs and all of the lows of his life, he knew what the secret was to being content. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. He took hold of Jesus Christ, the confession of his faith. What this means is that above stuff and the love of money and above circumstances and above everything that wants to drive us insane, the secret of contentment is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And it's our call to put our whole trust and our whole faith and our whole lives in him. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you let go of the things that you're pursuing that are driving you insane? And will you trust Jesus Christ? He is the secret of the content life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward. I'm going to pray for us. They're going to lead us in a song. And uh, I'm going to read you the words to that song. Um, because I want you to really hear what these words are saying. And then as we sing them, just listen to them again. This is a song, Oceans. And the words go like this. You, and we're singing to Jesus Christ. 
You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. That's contentment. For I am yours and you are mine. It's the secret of contentment. It's Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that as a church and as individuals, we might take hold of you, Jesus Christ, above all these other things, in spite of all these other things, to hold to you. That you, God, might fill us with your peace and the assurance of your love for us. God, help us to be a people who are content and live in you. In Jesus' name.